Here we go, episode 44 of the Hibs Ramble. I'm back this week, Craig, and I'm joined by Sean. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thanks. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, not bad. Sporting probably my favourite Hibernian top of all time. Just for what it represents. He's even got the embroidery on it and everything, man. That's to be expected from one of the finest kit collectors in the EH postcode. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, so, big week for Hibs. Last week, um, obviously going into the top six, we got a victory over St Mirren, went up to Pataudry, and I think a lot of people, based on how Aberdeen have been the last few weeks, obviously saved the result against Rangers. They've sort of, ever since we scudded them at Easter Road, they just went on an incredible run. I think was it seven or eight games in a row that they won. Seven, yeah. Um, and obviously they had a presentation at Pataudry on Saturday as well for the Gothenburg what was it, the Gothenburg Greats, as Gothenburg they call them? Greats, for uh, Gothenburg Greats. Effectively winning the European version of the League Cup back in 1983, uh, beating some diddy Spanish side, I believe it was. Um, but aye, now, now, Sean. But I think if you were to look on the face of it and go, oh, Hibs Aberdeen, now, now, or to be expected, they probably are a bit of a drab affair. But it was, it was far for that, Hibs... Like I don't think it's I don't think it's unfair to say that we probably created more chances against them on Saturday there than we did when we scudded them at Easter Road. Yeah, I think so. I, I can't remember the last time we had such a dominant performance and not picked up all three points. Like I can't, I, I couldn't think of one. I was rattling my brain all weekend and couldn't think of one. We seem to create lots and lots of chances very early on as well. I know Lee Johnson likes to start well, and I think we had about four or five really half-decent chances, maybe one or two glaring chances in the first 25, 30 minutes. And I still stand by the fact I don't think Aberdeen are that great a side um, at all. They've obviously, as you mentioned, since we pumped them 6-0, they've went on this run, and the state of the league overall at the moment just shows that if you can put a run like that together, you can end up where they've ended up. So fair play to them. It's pretty much guaranteed third for them as well, I think. And we made them look very, very, very average. Like, not even like a top six side. Like, we were just battering them the whole game. I don't think they really had a clear enough chance until, I think it was maybe the 44th minute, where they worked on smart for a corner and it went just over the bar. Their two strikers never tested us all game. You wouldn't even think they were both playing. They both ended up coming off as well. So... Very dominant performance from us, and like I said, I would have taken a point before the game. I think the most important thing, from my perspective, is the fact that I think a lot of the fans now have maybe just got a little bit extra belief in what Johnson's trying to do. It's clear the players have thought that for a for a fair while now, considering the, some of the performances they've been able to put in. But I think it's good to see that some of the the fans are now kind of getting on board with what um, people like ourselves have thought for a long time. No, I agree. And I think that I was speaking to somebody about this yesterday, actually, in terms of Aberdeen's run. They found themselves very fortunate to not get Celtic or Rangers in that run, whereas ourselves and Hearts, to an extent, have both played Celtic or Rangers between that, you know, and amongst that sort of run when we picked ourselves up. Um, obviously, we had the, you know, we had the game away at Livingston four one, and then we played Rangers the following Wednesday um, at Easter Road, 
and then obviously we played Celtic not long after that Parkhead. Whereas they've been able to play Ross County, Dundee United, Kilmarnock, Motherwell, etc. So I think when the split first came out, if you'd said that Hibs had taken four points for the first two games, I think a lot of people would have would have yeah. taken that. I think the frustration lies in that it just shows you how quickly it can change in terms of, you know, when Nisbet got that penalty, well, McCurdy got the penalty, but Nisbet took the penalty, um, Hearts were 2-1 down. And if we go 1-0 up, that puts us above them yeah. and puts us right up Aberdeen's arse with them to play Hearts the following Saturday. Whereas, again, I just think they found themselves incredibly fortunate that Hearts have managed to drop points and we didn't manage to take all three. Because, like you said, it's it's hard to remember a dominant performance where we didn't pick up the points. But also a dominant performance at Pataudry, which is notoriously a very, very difficult ground. Um, I know we won there in the COVID season when Dodge scored. Um, but in terms of the, the way that we set out, um, you know, Johnson seems pretty much set in this 4-1-4-1 slash 4-3-3 style formation. And you have to think that if Boyle was in there over Cadden, not that I'm saying Cadden's doing anything wrong, but in terms of an attacking output, you would fancy us to be a lot higher than what we are. And I agree with you in terms of Johnson. Um, you know, when you look at the three sort of marquee forward players come the close of the window where Nisbet, Mickey Day and Boyle. We barely got a chance to see Boyle before he got injured. As he got injured, Mickey Day and Nisbet got fit again. And then a couple of weeks, no, you know, no long after that, McGeady then himself got injured again. Um, so it's I, I don't think many teams would have to contend with so many injuries to so many important players. I know Hearts would probably argue about Halkett and Beningame and all that, you know, as well. Um, the thing is, on on the Hearts thing, obviously, they have a lot of their key players have have been injured, and and rightly so, they are very very important players for them, but. In a roundabout way, the benefit that they had is that they they improved not not improved their squad, but they grew their squad to a level to deal with that kind of you know sustained injury period where they've got key players getting injured because they were in Europe. If Hearts weren't in Europe, they wouldn't have got as many bodies in that they would have had of a certain level of quality. So when Craig Gordon gets injured or Craig Halkett, they brought in Alexander Clark or that James Hill or the boy that they got for Dundee United the other year or in the summer or whatever, the young boy, like they've got a certain level of, don't want to say average quality, but of a decent enough quality to come in and fill the shoes. Whereas Johnson has said all season long that the our squad from a ability perspective is too short and he wants to get rid of all, ultimately, the bang average players, which is obviously what he tried to do in January. Yeah. Um, so if anything, you know that's kind of where it's maybe helped Hearts with their injury crisis. Whereas with us, I think we had a, bit, a bench at one point where we had five young players, and and then the other three or four positions were filled up with players that barely ever play for us. So mm-hmm. it is a shame that we've not been able to see our ultimately our strongest side, our strongest eleven. And I don't think we will, you know, by the time the summer comes and then next season comes, we won't see those players play together. And it would have been. I know it's all left butts and maybes, but it would have been really good to see, like, say, either McGee Day, Nisbet, Yuan, Boyle, you know, those three or four all, all together 
for yeah. a period of time like what Aberdeen have got where they've played seven games in a row and only maybe played the old firm at the end of it and they've had that chance to get in the groove because the amount of times this season we were looked like we've got in the groove and then we go and play an old firm or we've got an international break or a yeah. cup break that we're not in or we go and play hearts when we're really struggling for form so it's the fact that we are where we are Johnson's done a, a goodish job obviously getting knocked out of the League Cup's not acceptable, getting knocked out by Hearts and the Scottish isn't acceptable and some of the defeats and drop points that we've had haven't been acceptable. But on the face of it, if you weigh everything up, he's he's done an okay job and he's he's starting to lay what I believe will be very good foundations and I know we'll come on to it later on with the director of football appointment and stuff, but you can see there's a process there. Yep. And we just got to hope that, you know, we continue to get it right. And if we get it right you know, only good things will happen. No, no, and you, when you talk about foundations, obviously the club confirmed that what we've been screaming for for a long time is that um, LAUM would be signed permanently. And, you know, I think that I think that shows a lot as well that the project, I hate that word project, but, you know, the process that players are buying into in terms of, you know, being able to secure UM without a protracted summer of you know, like uh, Canberra and McLaren, when they were really successful on loan, will they, won't they, will they, won't they? You know, the club have acted sharp to, to get that deal over the line. Um, and I suppose that, I know that chances are, you know, it's highly, highly likely that Nisbet will probably go in the summer. Um, but you never know, depending on, you know, how the end of the season plays out, we might go, you know, we've, we've still got nine points to play for. It's not out with the realms of possibility that we could get it. You know, historically, our results against the old firm in the top six aren't the worst. And they're yeah, certainly better, by the, by, better than the other teams that are in the top six at the moment. Yeah, and also the fact that we've got them both at home. You know, you've seen Celtic on Saturday there, they were miles off it, absolutely miles off it. And then Rangers are only going to produce a it's the same as when we said about, you know, taking the form against Hearts and St Johnston or whatever. Rangers are not going to take that level of intensity and aggression into a game against us. So, you know, it does set up an exciting exciting end to the season. Something that, you know, back in January, there was folk putting money on Hibs to finish in the playoffs. I said so the exact same thing last week. That just um, that just shows you. I know that you and, uh, you and Mark had a really good discussion about McCurdy last week in terms of the whole Famous Five scenario and all that. That instance with him just really summed up his Hibs career, yeah, I think, because that was it was flying in until, and it was weird because I spotted it at the time. Um, I was sitting watching it with sitting watching it with Emma, and I was like, "That's a handball." And I thought it was weird that they took. I was like, "Sure," I was like, "Have I missed?" Like, and they didn't. You know, and I think Aberdeen actually got the goal kick off it as well. Hibs were only getting a corner, so uh, I think so. So the referees just completely missed it. I mean, for once, it was nice to be on the. Receiving end of one of these VAR calls. Yeah. Um, That's what VAR's been brought in for, decisions like that, where it's completely been missed, clear and obvious error. If it if it doesn't hit the boy's hand, it's going in. Like there's not I know there's three defenders on the line and the goalkeeper's like down on his knees. There's not in. a chance there's not a chance it's getting saved and yeah. it's only going one way and it's burst in the back of the net. I think the argument to say that VAR still didn't work properly was that it was near a red card. Because he's denied the goal. Like, it's yeah. not as if it's been a cross and his arm's in the air. Do you know what I mean? The, the ball's going in. Yeah. So, 
but I think it just summed up our our day. You know, we hit the hit the woodwork four times, um, and as soon as I seen Nisbet pick up the ball, I just knew, like as as good as Nisbet is, he's a hopeless penalty taker. Um, he's an he's an instinctive striker for me. It's weird, right? Because I only thought about it after he took the penalty, and that I have never seen Nisbet lace a shot. Yeah, and his technique doesn't lend to hitting the ball square on. Do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't like, you know, your foot angled like that with the laces and powering through it. He's more, you know, angling his body, opening his body up, and and placing it, which is a great technique because obviously he scored a lot of goals doing it. But I just in a situation like that, you know, when a high-pressure penalty. The last time he took a high-pressure penalty was against Hearts at Hamden, and he scalped the bar. Um, and you could argue we had we would have had a chance of winning the cup that year, that year as well. Yeah, and just to have have the three points almost snatched out of our own hands through our own doing um, is really disappointing. I mean, I don't know. I personally, I thought the script would have been written for McCurdy to take it. Especially given that he won it, and that would have been the perfect chance to sort of blow everything away. Yeah, I think for me, I don't know how the penalty taking situation works at Hibs. I know that Martin Boyle is normally the the penalty taker since he's been injured. We've not, I can't think of too many that we've had since then. Just Josh, uh, Josh Campbell, isn't it? Aberdeen. It, well, that was to get a hat trick, and he'd never uh, taken exactly, one before. That's so the reason. And then he was on at that point as well. Nisbet was on, so. You know, he then looks like a bit of a prick if he doesn't give it to Josh Campbell because he's on a hat trick. Yeah. If Kevin Nisbet, and I'm not digging him out as a person or anything at all, but he does kind of seem like that type of guy that he's like, like I want it. Like, you know, I'm not saying he would throw a, a hissy fit or a tantrum, mm-hmm. but if he doesn't get his own way, he's not a happy guy. Um, very similar to why I'm, I'm, I'm in a way kind of surprised that he's came back since that fall, like since he's. Move fell through, and he performed the way that he has. Yeah, he wasn't in himself. If he didn't feel like right, I need to move in the summer. I want to move. I'm trying to impress people here. If he knew that that kind of wasn't an option on the table, I do think that he might have actually given it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And I said last week that my concern is that Nisbet in situations gets might selfish. start to get a little bit selfish. Yeah, whether it be in this instance, taking a penalty. Or he, he had a good shot last week, which he, which he should have cut back, and then we would have got another goal. Instances like that where sometimes I feel like he maybe takes the wrong option yeah. to try and benefit himself rather than the team. He done it a couple of times against Hearts at Easter Road as well. Yeah, and at the weekend there, that's a prime example where he's out to impress everybody else and get the best for himself and maybe not necessarily the team. And listen, he might be the designated penalty taker and if he is, then I'll keep my mouth shut based on everything that I've literally just said. But yeah. I'm surprised. I don't. I think Yuan maybe tried to have a word with him at one point and maybe wanted it because they looked like they had a wee handshake and Eli Yuan gave him a wee high five, like a good luck kind of thing. So it was good that it didn't kind of come between anyone. Mm-hmm. But I agree, it would have been kind of written for... Written in the stars for McCurdy to you know come on after everything that's happened. He's won the penalty, he takes the penalty, he scores it. We see the celebration. We're then right up Aberdeen's arse and we go on to have a successful end to the season. Yeah. But it's now, it's two points dropped. 
it's take it. I hope it doesn't take a lot out of the players, kind of putting in that kind of level of performance and not getting the three points. And I obviously hope it doesn't take a lot out of Kevin Nisbet and put his head down because I know he had other stuff going on at the time when he took the other pressure penalty against Hearts. But after that penalty against Hearts, his form dropped as well. Yes, yep. I know he had other things going on, but after that penalty miss in such a big game his form then dropped and he'd looked half the player and I don't want that to happen in the next three games as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think there is a degree of, you know, Nisbetshire de facto number nine. You know, if I'm I'm one of the, I'm a sort of traditionalist in that I want my striker taking penalties. Yeah. It used to rile me when you see centre-halves walking up or centre-midfielders or the captain walking up and taking it. Um, But then in that instance, knowing Nisbet's record, with penalties, yeah, I don't know. Joe Newell takes a rather set piece, so why not take them as well? Um, you know, Will Fish would. Leather I, think, I think I remember watching. Was it maybe the Euros? And Harry Maguire took the best penalty, one of the best penalties I've ever seen. He literally just laced it in the top corner. Yeah. Um, but I, it's it is like you say, it is very much two points dropped. I suppose another contentious decision during the game was Josh Campbell, which again um, went our way. Which was uh, sort of a ball broke in the middle of the park, and Josh has went for it quite high, feet high. Scales is sort of maybe ducked down a wee bit, and there's been a collision. I don't think there was anything too serious that came of it. Um, but I did feel at the time that we were lucky to remain with 11 men on the park. But then when you watch, because when you watch it on the club TV, they also show. Um, the angle that the referees get into so when the ref you know if the VAR are monitoring it you see the show yeah like it's split screens and the only thing I believe that saved Josh was that you can just see the whole time he looks at the ball that's the only reason I thought I thought the exact same but there's not any moment where he takes his eye off the only time he takes his eye off the ball is when he realises that skills is there he tries to pull out and it's almost like up and you pull out of this um, the, only, the only thing for me on that is and I, I'm not saying because this happened it should have happened kind of thing and I know Aberdeen, the Aberdeen players have kind of Aberdeen fans sorry I've used that but when you compare some of the other decisions that have went against clubs especially in recent weeks whether they've went to the appeal process or not and been successful yeah. the standard of decision making in the last couple of months has been really really poor now I'm not saying because of that it should have then happened. Yeah. I'm actually quite surprised that it didn't happen because of what's happened the last couple of months. But even I, even when you look at the Haran red card on Saturday, yeah. if you look at if you take those two challenges at pure face value, I know which you one. Went I, to a random person and went right. What one was the red and what one was the yellow? Yeah. I would wager a lot of people would have said Campbell's was the red and Haran's was the yellow. Yeah, but I agree with you that that the reason that he got saved is literally he's not taking his eyes off the ball and when he does. He's then already pulling out. Yeah. Um. I don't know how much connection is actually made with Scales' head. Um. If there was a lot, I would imagine that would have came into it as well. But yeah, I, I was very, very surprised that there wasn't a, a red card given. Yeah. I suppose one one positive to take from Saturday, um, and this is just me. You might agree or you might disagree. Um. But it was actually I know the result kind of takes the shine off it a bit. Um. But for me, I actually enjoyed watching it. Um, 
No, you know, I know. I, I know. It was, I, it was I, one I, of those I, ones where I kind of, you know, after full time, it was one of those ones where I, where I was like, Aberdeen never tickles my fancy, never has, never will. But that was one of them where I felt like if I'd have went, I would have really enjoyed it because I definitely enjoyed watching it. Don't get me wrong, I, after it, I was, I was in a right mood after it, but that's because of how it ended and the fact that we were so dominant. Yeah. And that we we should have been coming away with three points. So regardless of whether I was at Petodri or not, I still would have felt the same. But actually watching the game, if you told me that we were going to go away to Aberdeen, dominate, and I was going to enjoy watching it regardless of the result, like that's I would I wouldn't have expected that at all. I would have expected it to be a you know slugfest. That we would have struggled. We would have been on the back foot, especially based on Aberdeen's form. But for us to go to Petodri and be as dominant, create five six chances in the first half limit Aberdeen to two chances the whole 90 minutes, hit the, the woodwork three, four times and then get a penalty, regardless of how that then came about or what happened after it. it there's certainly a lot of positives to take and I did enjoy watching it at the time, but you know, not, not as much the last maybe 10 minutes or, or so and I certainly was in a right mood after it. Well, you wouldn't be a Hibs fan if you weren't in a mid Sean, would you? Yeah. We're not supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be miserable. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it does set up for an exciting end to the season. Um, obviously, we've got Rangers up next on Sunday, live on Sky Sports. But before we get to that, um, obviously, there's been a few bits of, few bits of news coming out for Hibs over the last couple of weeks. Firstly, um, Brian McDermott, the appointment. I know you and Mark again touched on it briefly, but since then, Hibs have released a... Uh, sort of the inside training podcast with him Um, and it's hard not to be excited especially when you look at his resume Um, I know that's a big word for for such a wee guy but you know when you look at the he was talking about when he was at Arsenal you know he was out watching he, he made it his aim to know every player and he says that, you know, football, when you break it down, isn't really that big. I suppose when you're in it, it won't be. He was away watching players like Saliba at 16, 17 years old. Players like Martinelli were on his radar. Gabriel was on his radar. Odegaard, who, every, who kind of everyone knew about anyway. But still, obviously, we're never going to attract that calibre of player. But when you look at his record, it's, you know, like Redden, for example, the talent that he managed to find from Ireland, you know, Stephen Hunt, Kevin Doyle in particular, two players who went on to become full, experienced, established internationals, but also Premier League calibre players. And I know that you and Mark also kind of mentioned that it sort of brings together the, the amount of experience that we've got in the football department right now is unbelievable. When you I look at the... only set us in good stead. You yeah. know, our manager's got, what, three... 400 games in management, you've then got Steve Keane, you've then got Brian McDermott, the coaching staff and everything like that. It's I can't see us not heading in the right direction. The only way we can is if we just decide to spunk our money up the wall, which I just can't see us doing. Yeah. Not, not, not this time anyway. And I suppose you need to give props to the existing recruitment structure because, you know, Will Fish, since he's been given a run in the team, uh, CJ Egan Riley, when he came in in January, um, Jimmy Jago as well has more than played his part since he's been in. You know, when you actually look at it on the face of it, the recruitment has only been bogged down really by the signings of like Tavares, who was overhyped and underdelivered. Nohan Kenna as well. Oh, you yeah. know, if, 
Bojang as well. You know, if we are getting in, you know, if we can and continue to attract players to level up and potentially hire CJ, Fish, Eliyuan, players like, you know, being able to get Boyle back, even players like Nisbet, uh, Kukarevic as well. I'm I'm really excited about about what the summer holds. I just I just don't want it to be another summer of here's another signing, here's another signing, here's another signing. I thought it was really interesting to hear McDermott talk about it's people first. Mm-hmm. So even if the players Messi esque talent, if they're a wee fanny, they're not going to play for the club. Which yeah. which is right, and I do think there is. Recently, there's there's became something quite likable about this hip side, um, and I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it, um, but I it's, it's very exciting. Like you know, the, the development squad. Um, obviously, we heard the announcement as well that uh, the Ramblers' favourite, one of the Ramblers' favourites, Josh O'Connor, signed a new two-year deal. As did Murray Aiken, the under 18s League winning captain, both of them will go out on loan to Airdrie for next season. Um, and there's talk of a third one as well out of that whole bunch. Well, we're hoping it's we're hoping it's Ethan Laidlaw. Um, you know, we're massive fans of Ethan, but reading between the lines, it looks like Ethan might see his future elsewhere. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um bye. Good great moves for them, Sean, especially. You never know. Airdrie had a right chance of going up to the, the championship as well after they absolutely fucking demolished Falkirk, which gives me, I must say, absolutely no end of pleasure seeing that mob get absolutely gutted. Yeah, I like the fact that Airdrie are kind of happy to stick their neck on the line and bring these players in now as well. Regardless, they all obviously fancy their chances of going up as well. So, listen, if Murray Aitken and, and Josh O'Connor in League One I have absolutely no doubt that they would smash it down there. I think the championship would be a good tester for them, especially in an Airdrie side. They've, Airdrie have had Murray Johnson on loan twice, so they know kind of the calibre of player that they're getting from Hibs. Josh Campbell that. as well. I completely no. forgot Josh was there, I think, maybe season before last. That would have been after the Edinburgh City one, is that right? Or the FC Edinburgh one? Before it, possibly. Before. Yeah. But... My my point still stands that like Airdrie know what they're getting with Hibs. Hibs know what they're getting with Airdrie. So they obviously are excited about putting them out on loan. I know that you know the contract situation was with the expectation of getting loans set up. So they're signing it with the expectation of, right, we're going to go and do this. So there's obviously something else in the background about, depending on how well they do, will they get another loan at a higher level or will they be pushing it to the first team, which will be interesting to see how they're managed from there. And it will be interesting to see if we manage to get, you know, obviously we are surmising that the third one is Ethan. You'd like to think it would be if there if there is any further movement on that. Yeah, and it's I think it's obviously that's one of the main reasons why Hibs have zero interest in getting involved in this Conference League push um, in the Lowland slash Highland League. I know that Steve Keane was on a podcast a few weeks ago and he made reference to it. You know, he was asked, like, why do Hibs not want involved? And he was like, well, we looked at it. You know, would be stupid not to look at it, but they want to be in a position where if there's a spot in the first team squad, as we've seen this season with Ethan, Josh, Oscar McIntyre, um, you know, they've all had, apart from Ethan, they've had decent levels of game time, um, but the B team play at the same time as the first team. 
Yeah. So there would be no way that they'd be able to play because I think if once they've made X amount of appearances um, for the first team, they're no longer eligible to play in the B team. You have to get registered for the B team, and I'm sure there's something in there that dictates about your registration as well. So, well, Aberdeen released a statement today, I believe, or it might have been last night. They have they were rumoured to be the fourth Premiership team, and they've said no, and they've kind of broke it down on their website, which is quite good. And they've said that they worked out to have a full first team and a full B team, they would need somewhere in the region a 55 full-time players. Yeah. So you're talking first team squad of about 20, 22, B team squad of maybe about 16, and then you're under 18s and below, because I'd, I'd like to imagine that most under 18 sides at our level are full-time. So then you're talking about another 18. So it kind of... It's good that they've actually put it down on paper as to why they're not getting involved. I think getting involved in it ultimately is going to stifle players' development. Yeah. If, if they're really that good, then the likes of Celtic Rangers, Hearts are going to try and just get as many bodies at that age of such a good quality and maybe not being able to guarantee them game time. Whereas if we can have a smaller squad here, get them involved with the first team or get them loans to... Airdrie or FC Edinburgh or anywhere else, you're getting them, not only are you getting them games at a higher level than this pushy conference league, you know, you're then keeping them involved with the, the first team on a weekly basis because if they put them down to like an Airdrie who are, I believe, they're still part-time, they're still training at Hibs, they're still involved with the club, they're still involved with the setup, they're still involved with the players. So if they do at some point, like, for example, the boys that went away on loan after the European run came to an end, they were still training with Hibs. Now that those seasons have came to an end, they're back in the mixture with the first team again. So yeah. I do believe and I completely understand why the club have made the decision that they made at the beginning of the season. And I can't see them going back on it, especially not after what Steve Keane said. No, I agree. And the last bit of news that we've had is today that the uh, Hibernian women have announced that Dean Gibson will be leaving the club at the end of the season to mutual consent. I know that Sean, you're a big advocate, not that we're not advocates of women's football, but you've got first-hand experience of working within women's football, so it's something that you're very passionate about. Um, obviously, from the outside looking in, Hibs were one of the, you know, if you were to look at, you know, Scotland's got the old firm in terms of the men's football, this women's equivalent was Glasgow City and Hibs. I know Glasgow City were extremely dominant winning the league for, what, 13, 14 years in a row? Yeah. But Hibs always seem to be the team that came up on top in the cup, came out on top, sorry, in the cups. Whereas, obviously, the old firm caught wind to that and decided to go full time. Um, and obviously, Hearts, I think, what was it recently? One of the first victories over the Hibs ladies' side in a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts on the the Hibs women situation as it stands at the moment, going from being one of the you know, high profile sides to now effectively becoming one of just, just like a mid table sort of not an also ram, but you know you, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think first of all the season that they've had this season from a league perspective has been nowhere near the level that us as fans, whether you're interested in, in the women's side of the game or not, would expect. And that's because of the level of performance and the level of player that we've had as a club in previous seasons. Um, personally, and this is just my personal opinion, I think the 
quality. This isn't necessarily a dig at the players at all that are currently at the club or have been at the club in recent years, but it's more so the kind of what's been going on at the background. I know since the Gordons have came in, they've tried to bring the club together and try to make the women's side as full time as possible without maybe being full time by you know giving them level of employment elsewhere or covering expenses and things like that. But for from the out from the outside looking in. And, and based on what I know, in my personal opinion, the quality has been on a downward spiral for a number of years now, which has been really sad to see. I absolutely loved my time when I was at Hibs and when I was involved. And I met some fantastic people as well. Some of the players that I coached are, are still in the first team. And I believe rightly so that they should be there because they're quality players. And some of the players that I've been involved and I've went on to play for you know other clubs whether it be Celtic or Rangers or whatever as well and if I compare where Hibs were when I left Hibs and went to Rangers mm. stuff that I've heard the stuff that I've heard from a Hibs perspective since then I know that was many moons ago now but even then they seem to kind of start going on a downward trajectory from them whereas Rangers, from a structure perspective, they were putting everything into their room inside of the game because they knew that there was an avenue there to grow and explore the demand. And they've, they've rightly done that. And they've given the women's game a, a platform from a, a paid perspective. They've been able to attract a new level of player. And then Celtic have followed suit as well. And then they're doing it. And now you've obviously got the three sides fighting at the top of the league. It's very disappointing to see that Hibs are nowhere near that anymore. Fair play to Hearts as well on what they've done. They've closed what was a humongous gap and they're now above and they're now above Hibs and rightly so. Yeah. They, went, they went God knows how many years without a result against Hibs and yet, you know, they're now going into games against Hibs expecting to win them, which, you know, is is goes a lot to say about what they've done. Um but I think to get back to the actual point, I think Hibs do have a long way back to where they need to be their level of recruitment and their level of coaching um, was night and day in comparison to what I think it is now, like I said I'm not involved in Hibs anymore so I, I can't speak too much on it but what they were doing then in comparison to what they're doing now is night and day in comparison to the quality player they were able to attract and I, listen there's going to be a factor of that that comes into it because of the full time aspect of it, you know regardless of how good a player you are, you want to play at your highest level and get paid for it. And so I can understand yep. why Hibs at the moment can't maybe attract the level of player that they certainly used to when them and City were competing. But then they, they need to get the youth side of it in order as well and maybe get more of a structure back to that to then be able to at least attract a certain level of player. There was a point where people would come to Hibs because they knew that if they performed well and they were good enough, they'd get a chance in the first team, which yeah. is why over the last five years, a lot of players have came through the youth and then went into the Hibs ladies' first team and then got a move down south or to a Celtic or a Rangers. So they, they just need to kind of get their, their self back in order from the structure perspective underneath the first team instead of maybe just concentrating on a six-month deal here, a year deal here for a player who ultimately is then going to leave and you know just use it as a stepping stone. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, like you say, looking for the outside in, as I, like, I profess to have not a great knowledge of the inner workings of the women's game, 
But it seemed to be like there was a sort of boom maybe around about four years ago, especially when Man United decided to launch a full-time team. I think there was two or three players for Hibs that went down there. Um, and then when Rangers obviously went full-time, it was Jenna Fife, the goalie went there, Lizzie Arnott ended up there, um, Amy Gallagher at Celtic. Yeah. You know, all these players that played, uh, I think Claire Elmsley maybe played for Hibs at one mm. point. Obviously, Kim Little played for, yeah. for Hibs at one point as well. Leanne Crichton, and all the sort of big names in women's football have all played for Hibs at some point. And it does seem that Hibs have just stood still. I know it's going to be hard to keep up with, with Celtic and Rangers in terms of as soon as they decided to bring it in-house to try and keep up with the finances involved with them is going to be difficult. But the fact that, you know, twice a season they broke the record for the attend- highest or two seasons in a row, you know, the highest attended women's game in Scotland until Celtic played Glasgow City last week shows there is the appetite there. Especially from a Hibs perspective. Yeah, I so think they were just at one point they were kind of limited as a women's side and what they could do in regards to you know paying players or paying expenses and yeah, they kind of sold the dream because they don't need to sell the dream anymore because the dream can be got at four, exactly. five, six different avenues. Yeah, the structure just wasn't there, you know, in comparison to what Celtic and Rangers now have. And I think back then when you know the boom that you mentioned. They were still finding it quite difficult as a club, right? Where are we going to train? Are we going to train at um, East Mains or Public East Park? Mains, or whatever. Uh, down where the uni train. It was then trying to find a structure for them. And I know, or I would like to think they're now on an upwards trajectory in regards to sorting things behind behind the, the women's team in regards to the, the structure and general manager and scouting and youth. I would like to think that that's on the agenda to improve. And can he take forward? Um, but I guess time will tell, and I don't think it'll be a quick fix, if I'm being honest, either. Well, that was an, it was interesting. That was another subject that Brian McDermott spoke about, and actually spoke quite passionately about it, because he um, was talking about how he used to get sort of 40, 50 girls going to, uh, I think he set up a team in Woking, maybe, or Slough, where he was, um, back in like the early 2000s. And it does seem that he's something that, you know, that's something that he's quite passionate about as well. Um, and I do think that if there's, you know, if there's something operating under the Hibs name, whether it's the women's football, men's football, youth football, I think we want it to be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, just because it's the, it's not the men's first team doesn't mean it doesn't deserve a good level of attention. Of course, the the main driver of the football club is the men's first team, so that should always be, for me, the focus. But there shouldn't be an eye taken off the ball elsewhere because of that and I think that McDermott will be will be good in that regards as well. Talking to McDermott, um, obviously like we spoke about Johnson's now got a wealth of experience at his fingertips whether it be those above him, those alongside him or those underneath him. Where do you, what do you think the support's perception of Johnson is now and the only reason I ask that is that I was having a look at .NET over the weekend which I know is not a great barometer for judging opinions but the amount of people that have flipped from get him out get him gone i'll be i'll admit i know we are massive fans of lee johnson and i've reacted to the derby defeat in the cup by saying get him get him out obviously completely reactionary but there seems to be a lot of people that were quite long term nah he's not for me he's not for me that are now buying into him is there anything that you can particularly drill that down to that's not just purely Results based or performance based or 
Well, I don't think he's changed the way that he spoke in the media or anything like that. I don't know if it's just maybe over time people have started to buy into what he's saying instead of actually just not wanting to listen to him. I think he's not really changed the way that he conducts himself in interviews and loads of people go on about how he seems to like to talk to the camera and things like that. At the end of the day, as the manager of the club, he's the face of the club. So whenever there's an event going on, he's going to be there and it's just part of his duties. Yeah, I think maybe people have just started to maybe actually pay attention to what he's trying to say. And yeah. then because they've started to actually listen to it, they're then maybe trying to take on board, right, okay, what's going on at the club in a little bit more detail. And then I think the whole Ron Gordon situation has certainly helped bring the club a lot closer together. Yeah, Obviously, the result at the time when we played, we played Libby, which was a fantastic performance, fantastic win. And then we went into the, the Rangers game. Obviously, the performance and the result was diabolical there. But there wasn't anything after that where people were calling for his head or, you know, very similar to the Hearts defeats, you know, the, the months prior. There seems to be a little bit of a, a coming together since the, the passing of Iron Gordon, um, which is unfortunate that that has happened in the first place. But it's unfortunate that it's taken something like that for the vast majority of the support to maybe flip their opinion or maybe try and buy into the club is a little bit more. I think people have maybe seen that. I think a lot of people have been detached for the club for some time now, especially with the Sean Maloney incident and prior to Jack Ross being sacked. And I think the way that the club have handled themselves since the appointment of Lee Johnson and the, they've handled the whole Ron Gordon situation and then the January transfer window, I think people that have maybe washed their hands with the club have maybe just had their eyes opened a little bit. Yeah, I've maybe been able to have a look at the club and maybe understand that the core values of the club are actually still there in regards to the togetherness, the family side of it. And I think maybe that is what has brought a lot of people back on board, maybe not necessarily with Lee Johnson, but with the club. And because they're maybe now back on board with the club aspect of it, they've actually started to open their ears a little bit and listen to what Lee Johnson saying. He speaks very, very well um, and certainly paints a good picture. And I think the appointment of you know Steve Keane and now Brian McDermott, although Hibs fans weren't happy that he didn't have any Scottish game experience, which I'm not going to talk about. I think overall, people are maybe starting to understand that, right, OK, maybe the club is in a good, good place. It is in a good direction. And, and, and we're on the up. Yeah, and I do think that, you know, if you think back to when we spoke to Lee and Ben, um, if you want to go back and listen to that off the top of my head, the episode number, I can't remember it, but you know, we got a good 40, 45 minutes with Liam Ben. And the dynamic between them works well, I think. And you know, a lot of people, when um, Steve Keane got appointed, there was a lot of mumping and moaning about, oh, why are we bringing him in? He's done this, he's a failure, he's been failed here, failed there. And now everybody's clamouring for everyone he's players to get in the first team. And people were all also wanting him to get the manager's job in Sackley Johnson. Yeah, exactly. So I it's one of them I do I do think that we have been fans of Lee Johnson for a long time. But we're not you know, we're not deluded in the aspect that if we feel like there should be something said or you know there's an area that we feel that the club are being let down or the managers letting themselves down then you know we're more than more than happy to call that out. But I just think a lot of us have got sick and tired of the 
firefighting. You know, as soon as there's a bad run of results, sack them, sack them, get someone else in, sack them. Like, we're not going to get anywhere by doing that. And I mean, it just goes to show, I seen it on Twitter earlier on, a year ago today was James Swartz scoring a hat-trick against St Johnston. Now, if you compare where we were at full time compared to where we are now, we're in the top six for a start, but it doesn't feel as if we're a laughing stock either. Yeah. It does feel as if, like you say, you know, it maybe has taken Ron's passing to to make it happen, but I know it's a terrible thing to say, but when we're no, not I understand, about, understand when we're not what talking about performance of the team and we're not talking about results, if you're t- taking that away, that is literally, in my opinion, the only thing that you can maybe look at as a big factor that would make people change their mind and change their opinion on maybe. But then it's also the that could also be an inner drive from the club as well to not let Ron's time spent at the club be in vain. Correct. And also for Ian and Kit and the Gordon family to, you know, because there's been a lot of talk about fulfilling Ron's dream and fulfilling Laundry, uh, Ron, Ron's legacy, Ron's legacy. But that might have been Ian's dream at the start. It might have been Kit's dream at the start also. So as while it's about fulfilling what Ron would have wanted, it's also about carrying on what Ian and Kit want as well. So and it's massive that there be the from that perspective from the, the Gordons family that this early, I know it's, it, it appears early because a, nor, a normal season would have been finished by now, but because of the World Cup we're still going. We're in the middle of May and we've already secured what we potentially could be our player of the year from this season or one of our players of the season. We've secured them on a three-year deal. So going back to your point earlier on, they're willing to take that, not a sacrifice, but they're willing to take that plunge into the market, fork out potentially 500 grand or so there or thereabouts, however you want to look at it, mm. and start to build. We're getting you know Brian McDermott in early doors. We've taken our time over the appointment, so clearly the club as a whole think that's the right appointment. We've spoken the last couple of weeks about trying to secure these loans for another year or try and get them on a permanent and if we continue to attract, similar to what you were saying earlier on, players of that ilk, or better, because we are a very attractive club on the face of it, we're only going to go in the right direction with someone with Lee Johnson's experience in the manager seat, someone with Brian McDermott's experience at Director of Football overseeing the appointment of players and coaching staff and this, that and the other, and yeah. then someone like Steve Keane in charge of the academy. So... Like I said earlier on, I don't and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I do certainly think that we're on the up, um, and that, that will that, that opinion of mine will remain the same even if we get beaten the next three games, which I know we're obviously going to talk about in a sec. Yeah, but I just feel like the right things are there. I know the Ron Gordon or the Gordon family, sorry, and and Ron wanted to get the the structure of the club set first. And in regards to the the commercial side of it, that has now happened. Now we're doing the structure of the club from behind it from a footballing sense. Then we're going to concentrate on on the pitch. And then slowly but surely, everything's going to come together. And like I said, as long as we do the right things and don't you know spunk any money up the wall, and the right decisions are made, then we'll be in a good position. Yeah, no, I agree. So we'll move on to Sunday. Massive game, obviously, in front of the Sky cameras. We welcome the second incarnation of Rangers Football Club to Easter Road. On a good date as well, might I add. I feel like it'll be a good good vibe. Yes, 
21st of May, which is a date that is forever etched in our memories. Um, we're long overdue a result against them at Easter Road, are we not? Yeah, yeah, we are. And I think, do you know what, this might be the, the cynical aspect of me, but I think the fact that it's on that date as well will actually get a better level of support. Yeah. Uh, I know it's on a Sunday. I'm hoping that it's good weather as well. You know, Sunday, sunshine on Easter Road or on Leith, so to speak. On that day, 21st of May, there's going to be loads of montages online in the build-up to the game. It's going to have a big, massive game feel to it. I know playing Rangers is a big game for us anyway, but I think just with everything else surrounding it, I think it's just going to feel like a little bit of a bigger game than normal, um, especially with the point that we got the weekend. If we're able to take something off the old forum, you touched on it earlier, Rangers are not going to be up to it as if they were against Celtic. Yes, they don't like playing us either, and yes, there's this little bit of a, a bite in our games against Rangers, but I've said it for a couple of weeks, I do fancy us to take something off the old forum. I like the way that our split fixtures have, have laid out, that we're playing both of them at home, mm-hmm. and I do fancy us to take something off them, that's for sure. No, I agree. It's hard to believe, eh? Seven years. Seven years since that day. It's mentally. can almost can still remember everything. I, I was you for the day. I was, um, I was teetotal. I never touched a drop. And you must glad. have been glad. No, I was, because I remember... Okay. I remember everything, absolutely everything. Um, I agree with you, Sean. It's one of them where we are due a result against them. And I think the fact that we've got something to play for and they don't will help us. Um, it won't have the five all feeling to it. You know, like that day where we had to yeah. come out the trap. But I do think that there will be an element of. You know, the fact that Hearts and Aberdeen will have played on the Saturday, so we kind of know, you know, if there's a draw there, you know, we know that we can go a point, maybe a point, two points ahead of Hearts, yeah. not a point ahead of Hearts, point. and also still just be four points behind Aberdeen with two games still to play. And Aberdeen's two games will be, what, St Mirren and Rangers? Yeah, and St Mirren and Celtic, sorry. And because of the result that St Mirren got at the weekend, it's albeit just a point, they're still going to be going all out to try and get fifth ultimately because they'll still want to try and catch us. Yep. Exactly. No, so you want to do you want to do a prediction? Yeah, three two hips. Three two hips, aye. Of course it has to be a could be another way. And then so what we'll do is we'll we're gonna touch on all the games, but we'll wait until next week where we can kind of review the the Rangers game, and then look ahead to Celtic and Hearts for what will be the the end of the season. Queen Bean could have been a very, very good first year for the Ramble. Um, and like you say, hopefully, sunshine on Leith, sunshine over the H7 on Sunday would be a good a good way to start the the final week of the season. So our questions for this week. Now it's time to answer the Hibs Ramble listener questions. We'll start off with our standard every single week for John. Uh, John says, pointless it feels. What's for dinner or something? I don't know. Fuck off, Hibs. So I've already had my dinner. Don't know about you. Same. But I had leftover Chinese and it was unbelievable. What was the Chinese? Oh, it was just, I had them. So yesterday we... There's a new chip, uh, Chinese opened in Gorgie. So we've got chicken fried rice, chips, curry sauce, salt, uh, salt and pepper chips, sorry, and salt and pepper chicken. 
Nice. Solid. And I just mixed it on to the one. Yes, love that. Had Great. three quarters out last night and stopped myself eating the last quarter because I'm, I'm a massive fan of leftover Chinese. Certainly a better Chinese order than John's anyway, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've already had my dinner and I had a prawn Pasta. risotto. Prawn risotto. Mm. Very good. I'm surprised it wasn't, a, wasn't I've a a, I've got a pasta dish for tomorrow. <laughs> um, Jeff Ashton says, the whole team played well, but standouts were Ewan and CJ for different reasons. Don't disagree with that at all. Um, just on that, just a quick one, Sean. Um, obviously, Lee Johnson said after his, in his post-match interview on Saturday that he's looking to get all the lone players signed up again. We'd be in a great position if we could get CJ and Will Fish back for next year. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, and also, how shite is that ground? Couldn't see the far corner on our side of the pitch. One of the reasons why also I don't go to Aberdeen, because it's an absolute fucking hole of a ground. Um, Gav Dick. <sighs> Frustrating today. Should of. Should space of. Had all three points. Thoughts on Henderson's performance. Personally thought he did well. Um, I can't remember Henderson really being in the game much. But you also can't remember him really doing anything wrong. Yeah, so it's good. It's, he's, he's had a Jimmy Jago performance when you don't notice him, he's played well. He, he had a few good passages he played, set up Joe Neal for his chance that he dragged wide. Um, a couple of good through balls down, uh, down the right-hand side to Cadden and into Yuan as well. Didn't really put a foot wrong, didn't really slow down the tempo of the game. I don't think there was any Hibs player on the park that had a bad game. No, I thought in, they all... Overall, yeah. the over, their overall performance and, and Henderson's included in that. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Sketcher's boy Liam Riley says, we are the third best team. Just need to... Just says, just need two chances. I'm assuming he seems, means just need to finish chances. Hashtag Horny Hibs. Um, Harvey Scott's asked uh, John McIntosh has already asked what's for dinner so I'll ask is it just the Hibs players who can't finish theirs based on Saturday aye that's been a reoccurring theme this season though when we get into the final third we don't really seem to quite take our chances every time and we've been saying for months that at some point it's going to click and it's clicked maybe twice this season you know, it clicked at Livy where we scored four it clicked against um, Aberdeen at home where we scored six so we just don't do it enough. We definitely dominate the opponent's attack and uh, final third, sorry. And we just don't seem to be able to put the ball in the back of the net enough, which is surprising considering the quality that we have in the front front three. Yep, no, I agree. Uh, next one is from, I don't know if it's Disco L76 or Discall76. Either way, uh, the way it panned out, abs- panned, P-A-N-D, come on, me. Uh, absolutely gutted not to take all four, all three points compounded by the guns scoring the last minute equaliser. Yeah, so I covered that earlier. Uh, it, take a, I think that that took us a lot out of the support aspect of it. But from a from a player's perspective, Johnson have them have them fired up, and based on their performances as a club, they seem like I said buying into what he's doing and continually doing it. And I think the fact that we're playing no firm in the next two means that we're maybe not going to get like a forty five minute performance that we did against St Mirren. I yeah. think it was a 90 minute performance. So, uh, Ryan Gibson's asking, should Hibs sign Depot Akinyemi? 
I'm assuming that's the boy that's bind him in for air this season. Yes. Um, no. I've not seen anything of him, and uh, no. Just uh, times that by two for me then. Yeah. Uh, and Martin Corrigan has asked, I thought we played well. Would you guys have picked someone else to step up for the pen? And also, and also how were the pies? <sighs> Sorry, mate. No pie membership this week, given that there was zero Ramble representation up at Pitodre. Uh, Mark was, I believe, at Old Trafford. Yeah. Seeing Man United. Uh, Liam's got his hands full because he can't keep it in his pants. And uh, I don't know about you, Sean, but I just couldn't be asked going to Aberdeen. Um, I that's not that's not very hashtag horny hibs of me. However, yeah, at this stage of the season, I, I, it, me, I've got Alf, Alfie's. My laddie's turning thirteen next week, so I, I can't be affording days out of Petardry. I got uh, I, I coached on a Saturday and Sunday, so I would have had to pie that off to make any form of transport to get up there in time. And the last time I went up. We were in the hunt for a European spot and we missed a penalty in a nil-nil match. Yeah, funnily enough, uh, another regular rambler, Callum Laidlaw, said the same on his way back. He was like, fuck me, the last time I was in Aberdeen, Hibs drew nil-nil and uh, Jamie McLaren missed a penalty that day. Yeah. And then the final question for this week is from Keith Robertson. Has Nisbet taken his last penalty for Hibs? I certainly hope so. Uh, I'd like to love if I'm honest, but yeah. We're not, just... Well, we're not getting a penalty against Rangers or Celtic, and we're not going to get one at Tynecastle. So he definitely has, in my opinion. I want, I want a McCurdy penalty in the 90th minute at Tyne to secure us fourth and go above them. That's what I want. I'd want that in front of the Gorgie road end as well. I'd want them to be. So you'd want, it, you'd want it in the first half, then. No, I'd want Hibs to be shooting away from us in the second half. That obviously wouldn't happen, though. Is my point. For them to be. Which oh, turns yeah. out it's actually a machine gun. Is it? It's not a bow and arrow. Yeah, he, he made a comment somewhere that um, he's desperate for folk to see the machine gun celebration. I want to know the origins of it, if I'm honest. It's probably something to he's probably something to do with Tottenham because he hates Tottenham, doesn't he? He seems like someone that would play GTA or something as well, so maybe something to do with that. Well he dresses like he's in GTA. Um was so and also as a follow up, was LG right to to bring off Campbell when he did? On the one hand, didn't want to risk a second yellow in suspension. On the other hand, he probably would have taken the penalty and done a better job than Nisbet, assuming we still got it. I just, you don't know. I don't think he would have taken the penalty, if I'm honest. I think Campbell came out after he got his hat trick by scoring the penalty and said that one, he never wants to take one again, and, and two, he's, he won't be the designated penalty taker. So I don't think he would have taken it if he was on the pitch. But he did it. He did it Celtic Park. I forgot he took one then, eh? Aye. So he's two from two. Um. I try and wipe out those games from my memory since we didn't, didn't win them. But um, what was the second point I was going to make? I am getting taken off. I think that's maybe just game management from Lee Johnson, learning from previous mistakes. Yeah. So I thought the exact same when he took him off, and I was glad actually that, that he took him off. And also, when he came off, we didn't lose anything and we continued to be that we were, which I think is, is more important. Yeah, I feel that Josh's form's probably tailed off a wee bit in the last few weeks, but that's no coincidence given that you know his sort of tailing off has been with the upturn in form with Jake Doyle he's coming back into the side yeah. who I thought we missed on Saturday 
just maybe um, the way that we play and it's maybe just not suited him, which is why he's been on the bench and that as well. So Yeah, no, I agree. Well, we'll wrap up for this week's episode of the Ramble and we will be back again next Monday to review what is hopefully another successful 21st of May. If not, we can still brag about the original 21st of May. There's no, there's no loss. Um, and then we'll be covering the Celtic and Hearts games before we probably lead up to our end of season pod, which will be an absolute barnstormer. I'd put aside maybe two, two and a half hours for that. And the first two hours and 25 minutes will just be Sean talking about his thoughts of the season. So. Correct. Correct. <laughs> but as always, keep interacting with us. Sean keeps putting out cracking stuff on the the socials, the guest the Hibs player of the day. Um, by taking excerpts from Wikipedia, their career histories. I was just throwing random names. Probably the most, the more obscure, the better. They'll definitely get used. Don't you worry. I just need to find links. I'm going to try and link players together. They all play for Hibs. There's a link. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> Bye. If you don't already follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the Hibs Ramble. On YouTube, subscribe to us so when the episode goes up, Liam will get this done. Seeing as he's going to be up all night anyway. If you're not following us on um, Facebook as well, you're going to miss out on lots of 21st of May content as well because obviously Facebook does not have a limitation about what you can and can't post in regards to photos and videos. So get yourself over to the Ramble Facebook page and you know you will not be disappointed. Ramble over and out. Ramble over and out. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Oh,